Okay, this is it, episode two. Thanks for sticking with it, guys. Uh, this episode, we talked to Peter Peasy from the theatre department. We talk about how we got into it, uh, theatre of daily life, his research. He tells us a lot about immersive theatre. Um, it does get a bit political somewhere in there, but that's fine. It's still fun. And um, yeah, give us give us your thoughts. We're on Twitter at LWYD. Uh, give us a shout and enjoy. Thanks. Peter Peasy, which is ridiculous um, <laughs> and has got me years of ridicule um, for obvious reasons. I am a teaching associate here at the Department of Theatre and Performance at University of Bristol. Um, my role is exclusively as a teacher. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm employed to do. Um, but I'm at the tail end of my PhD, as you can probably tell from the piles of books and paper and projector in my office that I am also kind of currently engaged in research projects as well, myself. So, let's start at the beginning. Why theatre? Um, why theatre? Good Lord, There's an, there, there are a lot of answers to that question. <laughs> let's start with a personal one. Um, so, when I was in secondary school, I walked into my first ever drama lesson, as it was then called, and I, uh, I met two very different teachers, one of whom set the rules for our classroom in a very particular way that immediately made me fall in love with the subject. Okay. And first ever lesson, rules on how you should and should not behave within the space were kind of given to you, kind of typical stuff mm -hmm. that you get when you go into a drama class. And they, we were told that we couldn't behave like we were in the film The Terminator. <laughs> right. By, by kind of enacting, <laughs> enacting violence on each other. Okay, and the way right. And the way that Miss Morris, who demonstrated this to us, decided to kind of make this point was by picking me up by just above my elbows and spinning me round with my legs out it's a very different time legs outstretched <laughs> and spinning me around the room saying I don't want to see any of that and I immediately went all right so this is a this is a kind of genre of investigation a way of doing stuff that sets rules up and then immediately asks you to challenge them gotcha. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and that for me was already exciting because everything else seemed so definitive yeah this is how it's done, whereas this was very much a case of this is how it has been done. Mm -hmm. How would you like to do it differently? That, for a kind of young kid, was immediately engaging. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's where it began. Okay. What kind of prompted you to follow it then? Like, I want to be an actor. Um, hmm. you're a, you, you study psychology as well, mm -hmm. don't you? You could probably go and ask some questions about what it is that drives someone to want to stand on stage and receive applause. You probably yeah. could. Yeah, yeah. There's some ego. I don't. I don't know that I want you to, but you probably <laughs> Delve could. Delve into that. Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah, let's let's leave that there. But there is there is you know there is a degree of kind of seeking validation for me. Um, there was a degree of kind of seeking validation through that sort of thing, mm -hmm. being able to be myself and to be others in front of other people to to expose myself. It sounds awful, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, to yeah. present myself and expose myself in front of a group of other people to have a kind of power and vulnerability mm -hmm. that I found very appealing. And that just kept on, that kept on growing. I became fascinated with, with the power of, of, of theatre as a medium of communication, 
as a mechanism of exploring ideas and exploring the human condition, which sounds, again, very pretentious. But I think that's why I ended up going to college mm-hmm. to, to study theatre, was because it, I there was nothing else that really kind of appealed to me. There was nothing else that it just felt very natural, despite mm-hmm. the endless warnings from parents, the endless war- warnings from career advisors, quote-unquote who just kept on saying, yeah, you, you really shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> yeah. It's not good for you financially. They were right. Yeah. They were absolutely <laughs> right, but I didn't care. If you had to kind of bottle it down into what you do day to day or like what your job is in a nutshell, <laughs> how would you describe it? My job as a teaching associate is to teach. Mm-hmm. So on a day-to-day basis, I will have classes with students which will either be the kind of lecture seminar thing, which I imagine you're probably pretty familiar with yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, to workshop-based teaching, which I guess for those listening in the STEM subjects would translate to, uh, to what you do in a lab yeah. versus what you do in a lecture. Yeah, yeah, um, So that's probably my day-to-day. Coupled with, um, I'm a personal tutor for students in years one, two, and three now. And so I will often kind of have them pop by intervene and ask questions of me mm-hmm. either as a unit director as a teacher on a unit or as just a personal tutor so my day-to-day life is mostly student oriented okay. to be honest with you that's largely what I do uh, in work outside of this reading writing researching watching theater and engaging in kind of discourses around my particular take on theater okay so why why do you love it? You kind of told me a bit about why you went into it, but nowadays, like, what's the thing that gets you going into work every day? Um, why, why teaching? It's a ridiculous privilege to participate in someone's education, mm-hmm. to have a place in watching someone. So, I, you know, that, that, that moment of, of aware of kind of change in my own thinking that I was talking about back in secondary school began this huge journey that's defined my life in many respects mm-hmm. up to this point now. Um, and being a part in somebody else's journey of def- self-definition, of learning, of self-development, it's a, it's a massive privilege. It's a massive privilege. You get an immediate sense of gratification when you're teaching someone and you see a penny drop or a concept connect or an idea come to fruition and you're just like, I participated in that. Being a part of that is, you know, it's definitely, yeah, that's a massive driver. So that's what gets me out of bed in terms of teaching. In terms of research, it's the same. But for you, it's taking ownership of exactly the same practice of of finding things and connecting dots but kind of you know being involved in doing that for yourself Mm -hmm. which ultimately for me as a teacher is the whole goal is to actually to make myself redundant for students and to give them the, the, the 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 capacity to do the things that i find fulfilling for myself you know enjoying that practice of, of, of ongoing learning and having ownership of it. Okay. It's a real politics of that for me. I don't want to be, I'm not the arbiter of truth and knowledge and I don't wish to be. I kind of want to make myself redundant of students as quickly as possible. Yeah, you're empowering them. Which is difficult. Yeah. It's really difficult for them sometimes when they come from A-levels or from B-techs 
where what they're instructed to do is to is to find the answer mm -hmm. and display that knowledge. Whereas what we're instructing them, encouraging them to do is to create answers, produce knowledge, yeah, formulate yeah. their own thinking. It can be a, it can feel like abandonment rather than empowerment at first. It, it almost feels like a trap. Like when someone goes, I'm not going to give you the answer. Yeah, yeah. You have to go and find it. And you want to, you want to come back and be like, but no, seriously, is this right? Yeah, like, yeah. And then I'll go, it could be. Yeah. If, yeah. You, if you develop it in this way, it could be right. Like, yeah. Stop playing games with me. Yeah, but, exactly. It, but, but it isn't about that. But it's a real hard thing to try and communicate to people. Yeah. Um, and understandably, because they've come up through a schooling system that privileges the demonstration of learned mm. knowledge, which is ultimately always going to be a disempowering thing. And f f the way I try and encourage students to think about it is ju that's just not the important thing. The important thing is very much the ongoing practice of learning mm -hmm. and the empowerment that one can gain through developing skills that will allow you to do that yourself. Mm. Failing and getting things wrong mm. is a stupidly important practice of learning for me. It's a massively central thing and it's something that's not encouraged. Do you encourage it though? Yes. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> yeah. Get things wrong. Mm -hmm. Especially, especially in kind of seminars and lectures. Mm. There's such a tendency to be in a room full of people and to go, well, I think I might know the answer to that, but I'm not going to put my hand up just yeah. in case it's wrong. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, you're not being assessed there and then. Yeah. Stick your hand up, get it wrong. And then yeah. when you come to your assessment, you won't. Yeah. You failed in the right context, so you can succeed in the appropriate one. Exactly. And there's probably going to be like 20 other people in your lecture theatre that thought exactly the same of thing. Course. Yeah. And you're the brave one who stuck your hand up. And then 20 other people are like, how oh, interesting. Yeah. I thought that too. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. And, 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 you know, again, the connection between doing teaching and research is I've, I have been in moments where people have stuck their hand up, mm. said something. It's been wrong within a degree of, I'm waving my fingers in the air like that's going to mean anything to people on this <laughs> podcast. But it's wrong within a degree of accuracy. And mm -hmm. in fact, it sparks an idea. And it's gone, well, actually, what you've done there is something really interesting. And you've proposed yeah. something really complex. You haven't got the kind of knowledge base to explain it in a particular way. Yeah. But you've proposed a really complex idea through your understanding of this and kind of added about 10 books I haven't got the time to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that happens more often than not. Students are usually not wrong. Yeah. They're right within degrees of complexity. Yeah. So what is your favorite thing about theater? It is, it is and always has been for everyone. What do you mean? So, so I mean, so, I mean, obviously different, different groups, mm -hmm. different power structures take ownership of what it, what theatre and performance may be in any one given okay. space and time. Yeah, yeah. But that's always a fiction. Okay. It always has, at its heart, been for everyone and made by anyone. Mm-hmm. It's, mm. it's, it's, a, it's a poor art form and it's, it, and it's available for anybody to engage in. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what do you need to make a piece of theatre or a work of performance? A body, a space... And some other people to watch it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Crack on. You don't need paint. You don't need you know, not, none of that. All, you can have that stuff and it can add to what you're doing, but mm -hmm. you don't need it. You can, you can just have you, some others maybe, a space that's available, be it public, be it private, and a group of people to watch what you're doing and you can communicate with them. 
and you can make an artwork. So it's it's for me, it's 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 available to everyone. Yeah, I never thought that because the, the the kind of cliched thought of theatre is like these people sitting in boxes yep, yep, yep. with their little tiny glasses, like watching an opera or Don't something. Don't buy the lie. <laughs> I, that's it. This is it. No, that, that, but that is it, right? Someone yeah. someone's come along and told and said this is what theatre is. No, uh, mm -hmm. no, it's not. It needn't be. It's for everybody, and it, that, that's that's what drives. That's what I find most exciting about it. You, you don't need something to make theatre mm -hmm. other than yourself and someone to watch. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's very cool. Okay, then, on the flip side, what is the worst thing about it? The fact that people keep trying to own it. Okay, <laughs> yep. <laughs> the, um, as with, as with all, all art forms, the exclusory politics that evolve around it, mm -hmm. um, when, when certain definitions become dominant, when it becomes about boxes yeah. and expensive audiences and when it becomes about expensive venues and particular mm -hmm. kind of hierarchies of fine art, yep. which I've mm -hmm. said with the most withering tone I can <laughs> for the podcast, um, or any kind of notion of kind of fine, appropriate, good, quote unquote, behavior, art forms or practices. Whenever anyone tries to say this is what it is, that's mm -hmm. usually when it stops losing any power for me and any okay. meaning. Actually, it's in its ambiguity, its freedom yeah. that, that mm -hmm. I find it most interesting. The audience, the audience are in part embroiled in the production of theatre. Yeah. Whoever watches it makes it. Yeah, yeah, it's like that's that is the one other thing that you need to make theatre and performance someone to watch it. Yeah. And if you, no one's watching, it ain't. It's just you in a room doing some stuff. Which is cool, you know, yeah, crack yeah, on yeah, and yeah. do that, yeah, yeah, but yeah, you course. need someone there to see it, yeah. And I guess then once you've, once the audience has seen it, it's out of your hands, mm. like, it's then up to them mm -hmm. what they make of it and mm -hmm. how they interpret it. And what they make of it, precisely that. Because they are literally, and you know, this is part of my own kind of research and interest, mm. they are literally embroiled in the making of theatre. Mm. They themselves make meaning from it. They are producing understandings, and they they make it a particular thing. Mm. And there's something you know, not unproblematic, not un, not unquestionable, but there is something very beautiful about the politics of that communal production, making meaning together. Yeah, yeah. Do you find then, as like when you've done performances yourself, like if the audience reacts in a certain way, you change your performance? Oh like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And instinctually, and sometimes in a way that I probably shouldn't, and sometimes <laughs> in a way that kind of performers should be very cautious of. If you ever get, um, if you ever get somebody who's particularly kind of comic, comedically bent, for example, mm. um, they tend to they tend to seek laughter, okay, yeah, yeah, and chase it, yeah. and want to make more of it, yeah, and that can radically change what they're doing, and in fact, if anything, pollute the message that they're trying to communicate or the story that they're trying to convey yeah. or whatever the kind of purpose of their work is, yeah. can become really sidelined by the desire to receive immediate gratification and yeah, appreciation yeah. and that laughter feedback yeah. becomes something you get quite hungry for. Um, so yeah, you, 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 do, you do have the risk of kind of, uh, the, the risk slash benefit of changing what you're doing in the moment to seek a particular response. It can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing. Mm. I think there's a fine line, and I think, you know, you can really damage what you do. And I, mm -hmm. Something I think probably some of our, our students need, you know, they do, is something that you need to become accustomed to. And it's interesting, because that's sort of knowledge. It's quite embodied. Yeah. It's not really something you can read in a book. It doesn't give you those rules. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's something you actually have to learn 
in the diamondism of doing it. Mm. Um, and it's a, you know, people might call it a skill, yeah, or yeah. worse still, a talent. But I find those kind of phrases really yeah. in themselves political and hierarchical and exclusive. I don't yeah. think it is. I think it's something you can learn. It is. Well, it is. It's just like reacting with humans, right? It's like how we learn conversation, Absolutely. how you learn to interact with people. It's just on a much larger scale. Yeah, and, and like, different pressures and, and stuff, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I guess in a much more vulnerable position, it, the playing field isn't necessarily equal. Well, you know, there's a, there's a power and dynamic, isn't there? Um, you know, who's vulnerable when you stick somebody on a stage? The person on the stage? Interesting. Because you think about it then, well, you know, stick... I mean, mm. Theresa May is particularly vulnerable at the moment, but you know, <laughs> if, if you stick a politician yeah. up on a stage behind a podium, are they vulnerable? It's a far more complex political dynamic than, than simply about who is and is not. There's a lot of feelings mm. and a lot of experiences at play in each party that actually potentially make it a really, yeah, it's a real paradoxical mix of different things. The, the politics of it aren't clean. That's really interesting. I never thought of it like that. Mm, it's like complex, that. Yeah, yeah. It's really yeah. complex. So, are there any common myths or misconceptions about um, kind of theatre? So yeah, I was going to say the first one that came to my mind. Like, you kind of have like the thespian Shakespearean actor <laughs> compared with the person all dressed in black with a beret just screaming mm. random words at an audience. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And there is still that rubbish <laughs> distinction. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the differences between theatre and performance, which are two very different kind of categories, which I'm not going to labour the point over in this podcast for anyone's <laughs> sake. But, but you know, they kind of mean different and similar things at the same time. Um, I, I personally have major issues, as I've said, with the notions of high art um, and low art mm-hmm. and, you know, trash versus yeah. culturally valued material i think there's a there's a nice space where the two kind of meet mm-hmm. where someone can do some thespian type shakespeare stuff and then put on a beret and scream and they can do that all in the same act <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all within about 10 seconds of each other that's the sort of theater that interests me um something that's you know both high and low brow that kind of speaks to wider denominators mm-hmm. um wider publics i think there is a myth around and it, and it is because of that, that, that definition of theatre is belonging to a certain class of people, um, which it often does, and it, but it does because it's said to. Mm-hmm. It kind of becomes a paradox called self-fulfilling prophecy. It becomes mm-hmm. a thing because everyone says it's the thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's, that's probably the most problematic myth for me. The other myth, mm-hmm. which is one that I often have to deal with with students, is that it's fun. Okay. It's actually work. Yeah. It's funny <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it is. It is. And I, I mean, you know, we get, we, you get that from um, academics, from people on the street. There's, it's always been, engaging in theatre has always been an act which is considered as something that's far more pleasurable than it is effort-based. Mm-hmm. And actually it isn't. Um, and it shouldn't be. We are incredibly privileged as are as am I as a as an academic and researcher mm-hmm. to be able that 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 my work and as a teacher actually that my work is something where I gain a lot of pleasure where I gain a lot of positive love mm-hmm. for what I do. Oh, see what I did there. Uh, <laughs> not to that degree, uh, but, but it isn't. But it isn't. It, it doesn't diminish the fact that it is a labour, mm. and 
if we forget that, a lot of problems arise. Mm. Um, and it often means that those people doing what they love for work can be easily exploited. Yeah. Um, paid less, not paid at all. Mm-hmm. The number of kind of internships and those kind of horrible turns of phrase. Yeah. Oh, you really want to do this? You really love what you're doing? Well, you don't need to take a wage for it. Well, actually, I do need to eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have rent to pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And otherwise, of course, then it always exp- that privileges a particular class and mm-hmm. uh, you know group of people with access to money, which means that the artwork and the form of production that's made is always reflecting the views and positions of that particular group, mm-hmm. which perpetuates this forever-ending cycle of increasing elitism yeah. around both education, art, theatre, all of these forms. Sciences as well, one might argue. I, you know, so I think there's probably grounds for making those arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, it becomes increasingly privileged because it's seen as being fun. Yeah. It's seen as being not work. It is work, and it's important that we remember it is, mm-hmm. both in terms of self-protection and in terms of protecting the, the integrity of the discipline and the action itself mm-hmm. um, and ensuring that it remains accessible for everyone. Yeah. The, no. Sorry, manifesting. No. Page 310. <laughs> <laughs> no, do you think... You were saying earlier about... Um, like the kind of divide, like the school divides. Do you think there is the obvious divide then between like science and arts? Mm. And this is this is. Thanks for dragging me into this. Oh no, no, uh, I mean, you don't have to answer. On record, I was um, just just is curious. There, <laughs> I think I'll 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 respond to that with a kind of broader social political observation, mm-hmm. if I may. There's a primacy placed on STEM. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the STEM subjects, such as they're called, um, <clears throat> within the wider social political context at the moment. And that wider context enters into all institutions mm-hmm. as a consequence. Um, I think that's a pity and there should be a parity of esteem um, for all educational contexts and, educa- and subjects because they all have important things to contribute. Mm-hmm. Um it's that classic, it's that classic old, it is rather cliched, but it's a fair argument. You know, if you if you want to talk about Oppenheimer and the bomb, what do you do? You quote a particular phrase. You refer back to literature, to art, mm-hmm. to a kind of encapsulation of that whole idea, which could never be expressed in terms of its emotional power, mm-hmm. in terms of its political weight in many respects, just from reading an assessment of the physics of the science, of the engineering involved. Mm. There's something more human that needs to be expressed, importantly expressed, Mm. and it is expressed through those interpretations and Mm -hmm. those representations. And pretending like that's not important gives that power over to a select group of people, and that worries me. It's really interesting, actually. I just read in Oliver Sacks' book, his posthumous Mm. uh, River of Consciousness, Mm -hmm. and he writes about it in there saying about when you look at medical records from hundreds of years ago, the descriptions, because we didn't have diagnostics, mm-hmm. the descriptions are so, yeah, descriptive. They're you know yeah, what I mean? artistic, like, yeah, yeah, expressive. And it's, yeah, there's emotion behind it. And now you look at medical records and it's just like symptoms. It's a list of symptoms. Mm-hmm. And he was saying about his case with awakenings, no one had seen an illness like that before. 
and so it hadn't been documented. So he had to go back hundreds of years and just find little snippets of where someone had described a case study, mm. and they were like, "Oh, that's so similar to mm -hmm. what my patients are going through." And it's the same, like when you think of someone now with Tourette's, mm. you think of very specific symptoms because that's what they're diagnosed with. Yep. Whereas every single person with Tourette's or any other kind of illness, it's unique to that person. Absolutely. And you can't. Like, so you need that. You need both. You need science and the emotive side of it. And there's there's the, there's a politics to to not acknowledging that. And mm. I'm currently trying to write a paper, um, which may never exist so you know <laughs> <laughs> it might just kind of end up in a pile of stuff right. let's hope it doesn't but it might i'm currently trying to write a paper about the, the 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 term and the experiences of the mental health crisis mm -hmm. um and how that that's that means different things yeah. and actually there's a there's a politics to where it meets those different definitions meet so for for um, somebody who works in a crisis team, mental health crisis, or the common sense awareness of the term mental health crisis mm -hmm. refers to a systemic problem, an economic problem, yeah. a supply and demand problem. There's a crisis because a lot of people need help and there's yeah. not enough systems to support them. Whereas for an individual, a mental health crisis is experiential. Yeah. I, am, I am in a state of crisis. When they go to a crisis center and they seek support, those two definitions clash. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they meet in a kind of deeply political, performative problem mm. as to who defines reality. Mm -hmm. For me, mental health crisis is my experience. Yeah. For you, mental health crisis is a systemic issue, and you're triaging my need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it becomes about performance. Yeah. And really problematic performance, in that basically they, the the message to the patient at that point is, well, you're not yet in crisis. Yeah. Go away and come back when you are. Yeah, Go yeah. away and perform better. Yeah. Perform your illness in a way that will allow us to provide you with care. Exactly. Go away and perform suicidal, parasuicidal, or violent behavior, mm -hmm. and then we'll be able to intervene. So that whole notion produces exactly the crisis for both parties. Yeah. It yeah, yeah. drives up supply and sorry, drives up demand and the issues of supply, mm -hmm. and it drives up the issues of kind of personal experience or crisis as well. Yeah, yeah. That's a theatre. That's a, that's a, that's an act of of theatre and performance, in, in, you know, incurring within the reality beyond our world. It's a theatrical experience yeah. in many respects, a participatory theatrical experience. Um, so yeah, that, that's when the discipline starts to move just out of thinking what's on the stage and mm -hmm. starts applying theory and performance to what happens in the world beyond, um, which is important to do. Mm. That's not to trivialise it. Please don't no, misunderstand no, no. me. I'm not saying that it's theatre. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's just an art form. I'm saying actually there's something that could be important to be understood through thinking about these things in those ways. So the, the work of like Judith Butler, for mm. example, or Raymond Williams, which we which massively impact both understandings of theatre. That's why we are, and we are, a theatre and performance department, because we think as much about the theatre that occurs beyond the stage, mm -hmm. outside of the stage, and apply theatrical and performative understandings to those things. Which is where, where I said at the beginning, possibly before you start recording, we're an anti-discipline. Mm -hmm. yeah, we yeah. beg, borrow, and steal from yeah. everything, <laughs> um, and in part that's that's because you know we we don't just think about what happens here in the stage. We think about what happens beyond it mm -hmm. and how those two things maybe interact as well. 
Well, we're, we're always acting, right? Like, Absolutely. Like you were saying before we started recording about putting on a voice, mm-hmm. you might, like your telephone voice. Yeah. You yeah. do, like I work in retail. Right. And yeah, I'm yeah. most definitely acting during my 100%. job. Like you do, and I'm sure everyone behaves differently in front of their parents right. than they do in front of their friends. Of course. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You should adopt different characters, one might say. Yeah. Depending upon the audience, one might say. Yeah. Right? To, to borrow this kind of language and cross it over. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it, again, there's an important form of labor. So you work in retail, you said? Yeah. So your job is to do what? To sell stuff to people? Yeah, so like serve people in a shop. I work in a shop. Right, so okay. Yeah, yeah. As have I on more than one occasion. Yeah. <laughs> um, customer services kind of goes with the, the thing, right? But there's a reason why it goes with, with being involved in theatre and performance. A really immediate reason, because you're not just selling a product, are you? You're presenting Good. it? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. You're literally that. You're presenting a theatre. Yeah. You're like, come into my shop. I am welcoming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I am the friendly face of product <laughs> X, right? Yeah. So yeah, you yeah, are yeah. effectively performing a theatre yeah. of sorts for an audience, just one that's specifically geared up to make them buy a product, perhaps, or to yeah. engage in a service. Have you ever been to a, have you ever been to a Disney store? I, not yeah, not recently though. Yeah, no, it's been a while for me too. <laughs> uh, um, but if you ever go into a Disney store, you know one of the first things that you, you do is you get greeted. Yeah. Hello, nice to see you. Come on in. Can I help you? No, leave me alone. I'm here to look about. You know, like you know, stuffed toys. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, but there's there's a theatre to these spaces. Yeah. Um, and that 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 whole kind of crossover between theatre and retail is something I'm really interested in. So, what direction do you see theatre going? Um, it's hard. I mean, it's really difficult to know. It, it is the honest answer. I, I, I have ideas about how I, about where I think it's the, the kind of the, the work of theatre is, is heading, mm-hmm. and where I would like to see it head. Some things I'm worried about seeing it do as a consequence as well, but. Um, so my own research looks at immersive theatre. You ever heard that term? That's I, is it like the audience kind of participate with yeah. it? Yeah, 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 totally. So you heard of secret cinema? Yes, that's yeah, usually yeah. the good in route for most people. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a very popular form, yeah. highly theatrical. Yeah, it's a form of theatre. Um, other big companies like Punch Drunk, a very famous company, um, one of the highest funded theatre companies in the country currently. Um, they they do immersive theatre work. They get audiences moving around a space, like like promenade theatre, but more free roaming. You've done this? Yeah, I did. I went to one uh, in Norfolk in a stately home, and we moved amongst the grounds. Right. It was called Wolfchild, and you st- and you were guided by crows. Okay. Yep. And the crows would you moved through different bits of the woods and the grounds mm-hmm. depending on the story so that's that's what they, that's what you call promenade theater okay. where you're led by someone yeah yeah, yeah. whereas um the most of all most of the work of punch drunk historically at mm. least was what they call free roaming that's not my okay. phrase that's not my phrase it's adam alston's phrase free roaming immersive theater mm-hmm. so you as an audience member just wander oh. around this massive building Okay. Quite freely, no one's guiding you freely. There's mm. problems around that and questions around that. But you wander around the space mm-hmm. without anyone guiding you overtly and encounter performance acts within oh. the space. Um, oh, cool. Sometimes be taken away for one to one performances with just you and one performer in a very quiet space. Mm-hmm. Um, that 
is increasingly a very popular form of theatre, uh, very very expensive form of theatre. Yeah. <laughs> I think to produce. I think Punch Drunk infamously say that that some of their most well, some of their more recent productions have had the budgets of a small movie. Oh wow! So you know, millions of pounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there is a question about how readily it transfers into kind of certain economic and commercial spheres, which mm-hmm. I have concerns about. But that form of theatre is definitely becoming more popular. Yeah. Um, and it, that, that immersive theatre falls within a kind of bracket of what we would call post-dramatic theatre. Okay. Brace yourself, sorry. Ooh, Throwing okay. some terms out there. Try not to use them, uh, <laughs> but they occasionally are useful. So like that's, that's theatre that's kind of it, it stopped being about the story, mm-hmm. and it started being much more about... It's not dramatic. It doesn't follow a structure of a, of a narrative per mm. se, or necessarily. It's much more about encounters between you, the audiences, and performers, and moments of meaning-making that are kind of produced between the two of you. Mm-hmm. That form of theatre excites me more than going to see a narrative piece of work on but, a stage. Yeah. And they seem to be very successful forms of theatre. Okay. And they, some of their bleed with commercial stuff is good. Some of it's not. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been to? A, have you ever been to We the Curious? Yeah, I love We the Curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right. Awesome. So you know all that participatory stuff, the yeah. engagement with. So I mean, that's definitely got an argument. There's definitely an argument that that's got a relationship with immersive theatre. Okay, yeah. That yeah. engagement with stuff and the kind of it's you that leads your journey and you that makes the meaning and yeah. you that produces this understanding in the space. That's. You know, Punch Drunk have actually done work with the Maritime Museum, amongst others, oh, wow. to produce performances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Waving fingers in the air again for the podcast. Uh, produce performances that that engage audiences in this kind of walk around the space and gotcha. encounters with this stuff mm-hmm. to make meaning, as you may in the theatre, but in the museum. Yeah, so yeah. these these mediums aren't going away. <clears throat> Live performance isn't going anywhere. And in fact, if you look at music industry, for example. Mm-hmm. Most musicians now make the majority of their money through their live performance touring than they do through their recorded material Mm -hmm. because it's increasingly freely available. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they actually, to to survive, their performance, their live performance act is becoming more important again, Mm -hmm. probably than it has done for like the last 30, 40 years, probably longer. It's becoming more important to see them live, Mm. to have that experience in the moment. Um, is becoming increasingly both commercially important and personally important for audiences. So um, I don't think it's going anywhere. It will just continue to evolve and respond to culture and society around it. Yeah, yeah. That's exciting. Isn't it? Yeah. I know, it excites me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love the idea of wandering around and meeting. Yeah. So I'm go- we're going to kind of go on to innovation and mm. entrepreneurship and talking about where theatre goes kind of leads nicely into yeah, that. It really does. <laughs> so, um, so what does innovation and entrepreneurship mean to you? Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> so I, yes, as is almost certainly obvious from the number of times I've used the word politics in this conversation, um, I am concerned around the politics um, of theatre and performance. Mm-hmm. Things like immersive performance, and this is again not exclusively my thinking, um, I need to cite other authors here, other people, um, but, the, but there's a definite relationship has been drawn by a number of people like Adam Alston, like Jen Harvey, um, like Jan Wozniak amongst others, between 
free roaming immersive theatre, immersive theatre generally, the idea of going out there and making meaning on your own, mm -hmm. and the way that we're encouraged to live today. Okay. To somewhat be encouraged, if not obliged, to be self making, self productive, yeah. to make something of yourself. Mm -hmm. We talked earlier about the pressure on services, mental health services, mm -hmm. and, you know, the NHS broadly, um, education services for those of us who've worked in education, um, if you've worked in primary and secondary education, mm -hmm. all the more so. There's an increasing kind of government intervention seems to be increasingly rolling back. Yep. And there's that niggly little N-word, neoliberalism. Right. Sorry yeah. about it. Uh, everyone hates <laughs> it and cringes whenever I mention it. But, you know, it's going to happen. Um, they increasingly encourage people to be self-productive and make something of yourself. Mm -hmm. If you don't make something of yourself, what value do you have yeah. in society? I have major concerns around that. Mm -hmm. And that is effectively what entrepreneurship is. To go out there and be successful. Yeah. That's kind of held up as being the, the high watermark of what it is to be in society. But that privileges a particular group of people. Mm. And that concerns me. And it also makes people work, yeah. often for no money, often for no remuneration, which again privileges a particular group of people. And that concerns me. Mm -hmm. And it also demonizes another group of people, those who may not be capable, yeah. those who may not, those who require services. You know? mm -hmm. Yes, this is not even remotely kind of dancing around my socialist leanings. Just, you know, they're quite open and obvious there. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, so for me, the notion of entrepreneurship has problems attached to it. Mm -hmm. That's not to discredit the, the power of encouraging people to be self-fulfilling. Mm -hmm. The importance of encouraging people to be self-empowered is just in the current political and social climate and, and cultural contexts. For me, the idea of self-empowerment is conflated with abandonment. Mm -hmm. The two things are unfortunately being pushed together, yeah. you know? So if you're not entrepreneurial and self-productive, if you're not making something of yourself on social media and indeed in the world beyond, then you have no value as a citizen, mm -hmm. no value and meaning as a human, and that's toxic for yeah. me in the extreme. Innovation obviously has a relationship with that. Yeah. Disruption as well, right? Like the disruptive innovation of things like Uber and mm -hmm. you know, these, these new companies. And the displacement of kind of workers and access to funds and resources and food, you know, these things are concerning. However, I'm also concerned about the left's resistance to those terms. Okay. Because for me, there's a problem in thinking that innovation has been co-opted by this particular neoliberal agenda. Mm -hmm. But human beings are innovative. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's what defines them for me. You know, that's what defines the creative imagination is innovation and banging rocks together to find out what comes out of it, right? Like, Yeah, that's how we got this far, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it's also how we're going to get further. Yeah. So innovation is not toxic. And I worry, actually, that, that weirdly, you end up falling into quite a conservative, small c conservative way of thinking by saying that innovation and self-creation is an immediately an inherently bad thing. Mm. I think it's bad when it leads, when it's held up as being the only way to live and when it's held up as being the only way to do. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's inherently toxic. I think one should innovate in any medium, theatre, 
or anything any other. I think one should innovate to encourage change and access and to encourage effectively pedagogy, ways of learning, ways of thinking, ways of making meaning. One should not innovate to encourage consumption. Mm -hmm. That for me is problematic. Yeah. If, if you're always innovating your product, I've got issues with the notion of the theatre industry as well, um, but if you, you know if you're innovating to 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 encourage the people to buy your product, I have questions around that. To me, there's there's a, there's not a huge distance between innovating around a product in that way mm. and innovating with how much you cut into your sale and supply of drugs. Yeah, it's about encouraging consumption. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and building relationships with a product. If that's what innovation has become, then innovation isn't something I wish to be a part of. Mm -hmm. But that is conflating innovation with a particular capitalist, neoliberal, yeah. commercial mindset. In of itself, it's central to what humans do. Yeah. I, think, I think innovation isn't, you know, the idea and the concept of innovation, like so many things, has been co-opted by an endless driver towards economic growth. Mm -hmm. And it's not about innovating for pure creativity. Just like research is no longer just about researching to find things out. Yeah. It's researching to publish papers. Yeah. Because published papers means access to jobs, which means money for an institution. Or doing the research that someone pays you to do. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Innovation, yeah. research, all of these concepts are inherently beautiful. Uh, genuinely. Yeah. Like they're, they're, they're at the very center of, of, of creativity in every context. Keep it away from the money. Yeah. Keep it away from a from an economy. Keep it away from this concept of economics. Mm -hmm. Keep it clean. <laughs> For me, yeah, that's yeah. my argument. I, I want I want innovators in the world because they are the people who are going to solve so many problems. But one of the problems I would like to see innovators solve first of all is that problem of the relationship that's been created between innovation, consumption, and capitalism. Yeah. That. Unfortunately, is the society we live in, isn't it? Absolutely. You can't do anything for free because... Currently. Yeah. Currently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But innovate. Yeah. Right? Come up with a way that we can. Absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. Innovate. <laughs> yeah. That's the answer. That, that for me, is, is where innovation should, should be leading us, mm -hmm. to freeing itself. I think it, what we need from innovators at the moment is, is an innovative way of freeing innovation mm -hmm. from this connection to capitalism and yeah. this connection to consumption. So, okay, coming back to kind of you and the theatre, mm. so how do you stay in the loop with things? How do you find out about the new things that are coming in and the, the new trends and what you need to be teaching people, I guess? You can't. Okay. You can, you can stay as much as you can, but this is, this is you know, partly why you do need to have disciplinary specialisms uh -huh. because there is no way, there is so much material produced so much research produced in the world, so much innovation, mm. that in order to remain connected to it all, it's just impossible. One human being cannot do that. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm interested in contemporary performance mm -hmm. and participatory performance, and specifically around the politics and around the, um, uh, the philosophy, I guess you'd say, um, of, those, of those forms. Staying connected with those means reading journals, mm. means keeping up to date with kind of what's being published around those areas. And it means seeing theatre. Of course. So yeah. those are the ways that you stay up to date with it, yeah, quite yeah. simply. Yeah, seeing shows, engaging with, with what's written about them mm -hmm. or written around them, um, and remaining up to date with that stuff. 
because that's you know twitter yeah yeah helps yep <laughs> you know um although i must be honest i was off of it for a very long time and i've only recently gone back on but but remaining aware of what's being produced staying kind of focused on what's coming out the reading journals those things are key i imagine that's probably pretty much the case for all researchers and teachers yeah. i'd imagine well you get more fun things you get to go watch theater yeah <laughs> i know privileged work see do you get to like take a week off and you're like sorry guys i'm just <laughs> off to the fringe like well, be back <laughs> well so there is the thing of field research yes okay. yeah yeah so um i i did receive some funding to go and see some shows um more than i have done more than once for my research <laughs> um other people are, are, are funded to go and make work okay um, to do practice as research or practice-based research. So those things are equally viable routes and modes of kind of investigation and research practices. Not the ones I currently am engaged in, but yeah. That's very cool. Mm. I feel like I've done the wrong subject now. I just <laughs> I have to read journal after journal and scan people's brains. I don't do get to go watch plays. Really? <laughs> well, scanning people's brains is really fascinating. As they watch plays, yeah. Yeah, genuinely. <laughs> I'd be that. really interested in doing that. Um, so I think, you know, I said to you, like, parts of what I'm interested in cross over with cognitive science. So, yeah, definitely interesting. Hmm. Um, so have you got any exciting future projects? What have you got? So um, just having submitted, but not yet been vivid for my PhD. Hooray. Thank you very much. Definitely <laughs> deserving of a hooray. That was a journey. Um, I'm immediately looking to try and publish some papers myself mm -hmm. to get out into the world of academia um, and to uh, hopefully turn that PhD thesis into a book. Oh. Mm, a monograph. As they say, that's that's that is an important thing to do if you wish to have a career as an academic, gotcha. to write a monograph, to have a, a book with your name on it, saying what you think. And did you you did tell me what you were researching? And I mm. so yep, I look at immersive theatre. I look at it as a form of ritual, a form of yeah. um, and I, I investigate the politics and philosophy of immersive theatre through considering it as a form of ritual. What do you mean by ritual, like? This is going to be a long podcast, mate. Brace yourself. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> I remember reading this on your website and thinking, I'm intrigued by ritual. So, so um, have you ever heard of something called a rite of passage? Yeah, like like uh, like if you join a club, you have Good. to go through a certain yeah, yeah. steps. Yeah. Exactly that, yeah. Or that, that moment where you've graduated from your degree and you mm -hmm. walk up to the stage and put your hands together and someone... The weird hand-claspy um, thing. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The hand-claspy thing in robe stuff. Um, there's, there's, so there's a, there's a, these are rites of passage. Mm -hmm. They're performances that change the nature of reality. Yeah, yeah. Once you've passed through them, things are different. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so maybe it's your 21st birthday party. Mm -hmm. Things are different once you've done that. Maybe it's your graduation ceremony from here. Things are different once you've done that. Um, there's a... I kind of argue that a lot of retail experiences, commercial experiences, are being framed as rites of passage. Okay. Go yeah, and buy a pair of trainers. Yeah. You're not just buying them because you like them, right? You're buying them because they say something about you. Yeah. You're buying a lifestyle. Good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're buying an identity, yeah. right? You're helping produce your own identity. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they kind of they, they frame themselves, present themselves as rites of passage, but they don't really work mm -hmm. in the same way because it's not really changing you for your own benefit necessarily yeah. yeah yeah what it might change you into 
is someone who's more inclined to then go and buy that product again mm -hmm. or to develop a relationship with that brand. So it is working as a rite of passage, but in a very particular way. Mm -hmm. Yep. A lot of immersive theater, I think, and I argue, operates in much the same way. Okay. So it's quite an addictive thing. Gotcha. And it can be quite an, uh, an engaging thing and it can help you find yourself mm -hmm. or lose yourself in a particular way that can feel like a rite of passage, like mm -hmm. something ritualized and spiritual has taken place. Spiritual, maybe less so, but certainly ritualized. Yeah. Um, some kind of sense of change comes out of it. But it's a kind of cruel change in that it's only going to last for so long and then you're going to need to go and get yourself a bit more immersive fear. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, that's a what an interesting Thank you. research project. Well, it is for me, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure. Hopefully other people will think so as well. No, I, because we do it all the time, right? But it, we apply the meaning to it. If we didn't, it it's just some behaviours that we participate in. But Absolutely. it's the meaning you apply to it. And it will be different for every person. Absolutely. Yes, yes. But rites of, so, so rites of passage, as they were historically used mm. um, in small-scale societies, were always about conservation mm -hmm. they're yeah. about keeping things stable like tradition like tradition but they were usually used at points of crisis so okay. so for example when you turn 21 mm -hmm. you become an adult yep. and a type of crisis happens yeah um and you need to have a ritual to make sure that crisis is managed okay yeah. and that's a rite of passage the passage between point a and point b gotcha um same thing with say something like Sahami, the Sahamain ritual, the kind of ritual um, end of winter, end of summer, uh, autumn, beginning of oh, winter. Oh, like solstice. Yeah, solstice. Yeah, yeah. Solstice rituals. They're rites of passage as well. Mm -hmm. We're about to enter a real tricky period, so we need to make sure that we all behave in a particular way and share things between us so that we don't die. Yep. It's about survival. Yep. With with the Sahamain ritual, for, for example, it begins with. Everyone extinguishing the fires in their own homes, building a bonfire. Mm -hmm. There is, and there is debate on this, a lot of debate on this, but there is potentially a human sacrifice that takes place during this. Okay. Some form of sacrifice. There is usually a harvest festival, a mm -hmm. sharing of food, and then each group will take flames from the bonfire and relight the fires in their homes. The entire thing is about telling you how to behave collectively, to survive. It's going to be hard. You might have to make sacrifices. Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but as long as you perform the right behavior, share things with each other, collectively pull your resources and support one another, you'll mm -hmm. survive the, the winter ahead of you. It tells you how to behave. Yep. So we talked a little bit about entre entrepreneurship earlier. Mm -hmm. So when you're allowed to free roam in something like a punch drunk, wander around, make meaning for yourself, mm -hmm. define who you are, learn how to be yourself, find meaning out there in the world. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Teaches yeah. you how to behave. Yeah. It teaches you how to survive the ongoing crisis of living in our world today. Interesting. So that's my argument, as it were. That's like my whole. That, that's my. That's my thesis in a cup. Nice. Thanks. Well, that is all my questions. Happy days. Yeah. So thank you so much. No, uh, no, it's been a pleasure for talking to us. Um, yeah, it really has. It's been really interesting and. I just yeah thanks for the tour of the building no you're very welcome I'm uh, it's nice to show people I around i didn't know it was this 
big. Yeah, yeah. Anyone and proper thinking, worrying. Huh? Yeah, like yeah. go check out the Wickham Theatre building because it's a maze. Please do, <laughs> please do, and ch- come and check out whatever is being shown on at the Wickham as well. Exactly. Um, do you want to pitch anything? Do you want to plug social media or website? Or... Nope, I'm nope. quite happy not to. That's but I will. I, I will say. I will say. Come and see. Come and see our students work. Mm-hmm. Come and see the stuff that our students put on. If there's ever a work being produced. Come and see it. Some of their work is incredible. It often goes on to to fringe venues and other venues beyond, um, and it deserves the support um, and it deserves support of, of both academics and students from around the, from around the university. Mm-hmm. Um, so come and see their work. Excellent. Thank you very much. No, no, thank you, Jess. It's been <laughs> nice, mate. It was really great getting to talk to Peter, clearly someone who loves what he does. In fact, this episode was probably only about half of what we recorded. Man, did we go on some tangents. But don't worry, I left in the good stuff. Um, If you want to check out the performances he mentioned, it's bristol.ac.uk forward slash theatre forward slash events. Go check out some student performances. Um, Let us know what you thought of the episode on Twitter at LWYD underscore UOB. I realised I left that out at the beginning. Um, Can't get my own Twitter handle right. But don't worry, guys. It's episode two. I've got this. Um, And yeah, thanks for listening. Stay tuned for episode three. Okay, bye.